0: Um, I'm going to ask you, if you uh, will take a minute now to look in your copy of God's Word, again I'm speaking to you at home, I know this is a little different, I want to acknowledge that, but I want to encourage you to do the best you can, because I think it'll be profitable to you, if you will actually take a copy of God's Word, whether that's however you normally read scripture, if that's on a tablet or a phone, that's fine, or if it's on your uh, uh, physical hard copy of God's Word, however you do that, go ahead and pull that out and do that now. And uh, find Matthew chapter 27. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 27. Um, and just take the time now, like I said, try to push away all those distractions, and there are plenty of them, I know at my house. that's how it is. I'm sure it is at your house, but I want to encourage you, to try to focus in for just a minute. I think the Lord has something for us here in Matthew 27. Now we've been on Sunday mornings, we've been going through the various resurrections in Scripture, and I felt important just to continue on with that because I do think that there's victory in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and I think that is in a time when we need some encouragement in a time where we need a little bit of a a voice from the Lord. Um, I can't think of a better way to do it than just to go to the stories of resurrection. So uh, that's what we're going to continue to do. It's the best way I know how to do this. So uh, we're going to be in an interesting resurrection here. We're going to the cross. Now, you say, well, of course there's a resurrection following the cross. We believe that. But we're not talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to go to the cross, and we're going to see an interesting resurrection that happens really at the foot of the cross, essentially, essentially at the foot of the cross. It begins in Matthew chapter 27, and it goes in verse 50, and I'm going to read down to verse 54, so I'll begin with that. Um, in just a moment, we'll read that, read that text, but you'll see that Jesus is on the cross there in this passage. Right now, God is doing something in our, in our land. Uh, I know that he is. I, I don't dare to assume that I know exactly what he's doing. I don't. Um, and as I have been reminded this week, I probably wouldn't even believe it if I knew what he was doing. I say that because I can look back at Brother Habakkuk in the Old Testament, Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 5, where Habakkuk actually asked God, what in the world are you doing, God? What are you up to? And God says back to him, behold ye among the heathen, regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. So I don't know what he's doing. I really don't. Furthermore, we're in the middle of our circumstance. We preached about this last week. and even if God is right in the middle of it with us, and He is, we can't always tell what He's doing, sometimes until it's over, and we're looking back on it. And I think that's where we find ourselves with this COVID-19 virus. It's bad, and I think for me at least, the badness of it is the uncertainty. I think that's really where, my, where it troubles my soul. I mean, the disease itself, some of you might actually be concerned about the disease itself, and I, I don't want don't to belittle that, but personally, that's not where my fear lies. My fear is really more of when is this over? When is this going to happen? What's going on? How long before we can go back to school? How long before we can go out to eat? How long before they get a vaccine? And there are, as the song goes, many things about tomorrow that I don't seem to understand. But I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand in this passage I've already mentioned there is a very scary and I'd say even equally uncertain in a lot of ways uncertain times. Could you imagine you're following Jesus all these this time and here's Jesus hanging on the cross. You're looking at the one you were putting your hope in and he's dying, bleeding. I mean shamefully dying, not just dying, but shamefully dying, hanging on a cross. All hope seems to be gone but I want to turn your attention, as I said, to the passage, Matthew chapter 27, begin with verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, but the, and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly saying, truly, this was the Son of God. I want to ask you to pray with me and then we'll preach to you out of this passage about believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you will help us to turn our attention to the cross, turn our attention to what Jesus did, the power of his death, the power of his resurrection, the power of our Savior, so that we may see in our own situation, our own need, in our own lives, that power at work. And I pray, God, that you will cause us where our faith is weak to renew, regain, strengthen that faith in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 50, there's a cry of death that sets everything off. Read it there again. He cries again with a loud voice, and then he yields up the ghost. This is the last thing out of our Savior's mouth. He is dying, and he, at that moment, gives up his life. And it is important to note, I think, not necessarily the points I want to make to you, but I do think it's important to note that he yielded up his ghost. No one took it away from him. He gave willingly his own life in that voice of crying out i I believe certainly there was agony in that voice i don't want to take that away from our lord he was absolutely in agony i believe there was definitely pain there was definitely uh, probably even a physical frustration i can only imagine what he must have felt i I can't even imagine what he must have felt but don't miss that there's also this is the voice of god crying out so there's power in this voice so much power that in verse 51, look what happens. Immediately, once he gives up the ghost, he cries out, then there is this power that happens that there's an earthquake. It says there that the earthquakes, and it says it seems to be a connection between this earthquaking and, and this uh, veil renting. There seems to be a connection between these. Now, Now, it's not notable that there was an earthquake in this area. This was probably pretty typical from time to time to have an earthquake. But what made this notable, if you look at that verse 51, or excuse me, verse yeah, verse 51, the last part, that not only did the earthquake, but the rocks rent. We're seeing rocks being torn in half, to rocks that are completely being shredded here because of this. This is the kind of thing that our Savior's cry set off. It was he cried out and he set off this earthquake. I believe that's exactly at least the intended message from Matthew here is that this cry sets off this earthquake. So God is pouring out his wrath on his only begotten son, on my sin and on your sin, and it creates such an agony in our Savior, he cries out as he gives up the ghost, and it causes a tremendous earthquake that rocks are literally being shredded. It's a pretty powerful scene, if you can imagine it the way it's, at least I'm trying to convey, convey it to you. But that scene is pales in comparison to the events that are happening at the temple. I skipped over in verse 51. It says that the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. It talks about this, this veil. Now there's some debate about what the veil was, but let's first start with the conversation of the fact it was ripped from top to bottom. This was such a large veil, no matter which one it was, there's a couple of options here, but no matter which one it was, it was ripped from top to bottom, meaning it was not a man who ripped it, which we would have started from the bottom and gone up. It was the hand of God himself that took that veil and ripped it from top to bottom. Now, why is that important? Why is this veil even mentioned here? Well, this veil could have been, some suggest it could have been, a veil that would have separated that part of the temple the Jewish part from the Gentile part. Some people would have said that. I happen to believe, and there is a large school of thought that believes it was a veil that would have separated the holiest of holy places from the rest, from anyone—the area that no one could enter into, no one could enter into, and it was a particular veil that nobody could go past except that certain priest at a certain time of the year, and even he had to go in with the proper preparation or else he would be killed on the spot by God's own hand. I believe that that was the veil that was rent. But either way, whether it is Jew from Gentile or simply all of mankind from the holiest of holy places, the presence of God, God is making an unusual statement here. He is removing the barriers between man and God. He's removing that barrier between me and me and you, but ultimately between us and God. He is removing that barrier. If you would, for just a moment, I want to ask you to turn over to the book of Ephesians. Just hold your place in Matthew. We will be back there. But I do want to ask you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read this because I like the way that Paul puts this. He's talking about the same incident or the same uh, information, but just coming at it from a little bit of a different angle. And I just like the way he says it. And I think it's worth taking a minute to turn over there to Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll begin in verse 12. He says there in verse 12, that at that time, talking about the time before salvation, before Christ came, at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope without God in this world. You see, apart from Jesus crying out in agony, giving up of his own free will, giving up the ghost, of his, giving up his life, if he had not done that, you and I would have no promises, we'd have no hope, we'd have no God. We would not have access to those things. In this time or any other time of crisis, I think a lot of people do turn, whether they, whether in, whether, uh, they are right in how they do it or not, but they, at least their intention is to turn to a God. But apart from Jesus Christ, you cannot turn to God. You do not have a God in this world. But because of Jesus Christ, verse 13, but now in Jesus in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of of Christ. Because he shed his blood, because he gave up his life, you now are brought close to him. Continue on, he says, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Jesus broke down every barrier. He broke down everything that would get in the way. He has made himself available for every race, every people group, every place on this earth. He has made it so that every person can have direct access to God himself. There is now one one God and one mediator between God and man. It's not a priest, it's not a preacher, it's only one man, between, one, one between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He is the one who makes peace, and he doesn't just make peace like he's brokering a deal. He actually makes the peace by being the peace. He is the one that is between us. He is the one at the cross, he says there in verse 16, that he might reconcile both 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 sides both parties unto god in one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereof now why am i ta- why am i trying to give you this I, well first of all it's true so you need to know this it's absolute truth but it's important to understand that if jesus had not died on that cross if he had not cried out in agony if he had not done those things that 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 barrier between you and god would still be as broad and as wide and as thick and as high as ever was. But because he did that, it was, as it says there, we can go back to Matthew now, Matthew 27, and we can see, as he says there in verse 51, that veil was rent in twain from top to bottom. It's literally as if he took a piece of paper and just no more. It's done. It's taken care of. He's taking care of that. He has broken down that wall. So Jesus is And yes, Janie, it is my favorite word, propitiation. It is my favorite word in the Bible. He is our propitiation. He is the one who satisfies the demands that God has. Now, that's important not only because I actually have direct access to God, but because I have that need met. God's demands have been met There is no other. The worst possible thing has already happened. My sin has been punished forever and ever and ever. I now have direct access to God. I have direct access to the one who has a control over all of the earth. He is my propitiation, even in death. The worst thing that I can imagine happening to me on this earth would be me dying, whatever, whatever that happens, but with me ending in death, that's the worst thing I can imagine happening to me. But even in death, I have Jesus, because, because in my death, it says in the Bible that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what I have because of Jesus, because he has met my need. But now this story goes on, and the interesting story that continues is in verse 52. That earthquake that shook everything and not only ripped that temple veil, it goes in verse 52, it opens up graves. The graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. This earthquake opens up some graves, and these saints, it's not 100% sure of who it exactly is, but we know they died before Christ was, was on the cross, so these were what we might refer to as Old Testament saints. I don't know if it's some of the people we knew their names in the Old Testament or not, it could have been, or if they were just unnamed people as far as we in modern era would have been. We don't know their names, but they were nonetheless the same people that were in view in Hebrews chapter 11 i'm not going to turn there but if you wanted to do a study of this on your own and read hebrews chapter 11 i think it starts in around verse uh, 33 32 somewhere in there you could see where he talks about all these people who have endured so many things with faith in god for the outcome but he says in verse 39 hebrews 11:39, these people and i believe these are the ones the ones there in verse 52 these people had not yet received that promise now what was the promise? The promise of life, that promise of, that they would be resurrected and they would be reunited with him. They had not yet received that at this point. But what happens? Well, Jesus, he dies on the cross. It says, if you read that verse 51, excuse me, verse 52, it says that the graves were open and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. But then verse 53, they came out of the graves after his resurrection. Notice that the graves were broken open because of his death, but they never rose out of the grave until Jesus came out of the grave. This is interesting to me. You know what that means? It's what Paul says in 1 uh, yeah, Corinthians 15. He says that Jesus is the first fruit from the grave. He is that first one who's risen again, and he is doing, because, because, they, because he's done this, they now have the resurrection. Put it to you this way. Jesus is delivering on a promise that was made to these Old Testament saints a long time ago, that if you will put your faith in God, God will take care of you. We sing that song, God will take, I think we sang that Wednesday night, didn't we, Mark? God will take care of you. They were, they were buying into that promise, that God's going to take care of them, and they died. What, that's what the writer of Hebrews says in 11, chapter 11 of Hebrews, that these people died without that promise being fulfilled, and you could have, from a human perspective, said, well, God forgot about them. No, not at all. He is delivering on the promise that he made to these people, and he's showing us. I think there's, it's an important message for us New Testament saints to see this, that God's saying, I ain't forgot about my people. I'm not done with my people. I'm giving you a taste of what will come. Because he says in Hebrews 11, in the next, next verse, he said these people had not received that promise. But in chapter 11, verse 40, he says God has provided some better thing for us. What's that better thing? God himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I need you to hear real loud and clear. The point I think I want to try to get out of this for you is the fact that God has not forgotten his people. We are his people. We are precious to him. Now, we might feel abandoned. Let's don't, let's don't, let's don't, let's don't sugarcoat this. There will be times, and maybe now is one of those times, where you just feel alone. You feel like, where is God? Maybe, that, maybe now is not the time, but you felt that before. I know I have. You're thinking, where is God in all this? You might feel abandoned, but I want to promise you that he is coming for you. He has not forgotten you. He may, in his sovereignty, be doing something that I don't understand. He may be working in a way that I do not clearly see. But even in those moments, he continues to work, and he's not forgotten you. There will come a day, and if not in, and not in the next week or two, it will come whenever it is his, his time. We're going to talk about that, by the way, tonight a little bit out of Matthew 24. We're going to go back a few chapters. That's tonight's sermon. But I want you to know that he will come in his time, and he will bring us home with him. He has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten you. He will never forget you. He's not forgotten us because we, not only is he our propitiation, we are his possession. These people here were his possession, and he allowed them to come back out of the grave to show them that for, one, for, a, for just a few moments. Now there in verse 54 is the, the last scene in this passage. You've got this centurion, that's, then there's all these people that are with him, and they're watching Jesus. Now this is another one of those things where different people kind of see it a little bit differently, so I'll at least acknowledge that some people would suggest that the people that were with him were all the people watching this crucifixion. may well have been, but I think what's in view here, especially those that feared greatly, were all those soldiers that are standing around. I think that's who's necessarily standing around there. And these soldiers, these these are hardened men. These were men, I would imagine, maybe most of them, if not all of them, were probably assigned to do crucifixions. That was their job. It wasn't an uncommon thing to have crucifixions on a somewhat regular basis. Yeah, they have a lot of criminals that they had to deal with. And these men had probably seen, again, no one knows exactly because we don't know who these men specifically were, but they had probably seen hundreds of crucifixions. If you know anything about a crucifixion, it's violent. It's bloody. In my opinion, and it's because I'm a modern human being and I don't don't experience these things that often, but it's horrifying. I can't imagine one human being doing these things to another. I can't imagine that. But these men, this was, this was their job. They punched in and punched out. This is what they did. I would imagine by this point in the process, they're numb to it. And you do the things you do to sort of help yourself sleep at night. Everybody that that did, they deserved it. I didn't hurt anybody that didn't deserve it. I just did what I had to do. It was what I had to do to feed my, whatever they did. They, but they were numb to it. But he says there, keep reading here with verse 54, they're watching Jesus they saw the earthquake, and those things that were done, they saw this earthquake and all the unusual activity. They heard Jesus crying out, and I can't even imagine what the atmosphere must have been like there, but whatever it was, it made them say, the last phrase is there in verse 54, that they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. They feared greatly. That term feared greatly means these people were deeply affected by this but it actually has this sense of there was terror that came over them i think their blood ran cold best way i can describe this to you is uh, you ever if you are especially if you're in kind of an office setting and you hit reply all and you thought you were replying to one person and everybody in the company got your message and there's that oh no kind of feeling or something, you, you got that feeling? I think there was, that was close to what they're feeling there. They realized, they finally, they understood, because look what they said there. They said, truly, this was the Son of God. This Yes, there was belief, thank the Lord for that, but I do believe that they finally said, hang on a minute, I think we just crucified God. I think we just put on a cross and made suffer the God of the universe. Now, you imagine that. Oh, no. Look what we just did. They were panicked. But now I want to put this back to you. You have a choice. You have a chance. You have an opportunity. We can fear those, and we do, who could hurt our bodies. But I'm encouraging you, as the scripture tells us, to fear him who can throw both body and soul into hell. Don't get this wrong now. This soldier, I don't know what his eternal fate was, but he was there with, truly with actual blood on his hands putting the Savior on the cross. Don't you be in that position to have that terrible shock, that oh no feeling when you wake up and your eyes are waking up in hell. Because it, it does tell me in the scripture that there will come a time when everybody, all people, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Wouldn't it be a terrible, terrible, awful feeling to wake up and realize you got it all wrong now? here the one who is giving you everything you needed to have a propitiation. Here the one who's saying, I'm willing to make you my possession and give you all of these wonderful blessings, yet you rejected him. Do not turn him away. Christian, wouldn't it be an awful, terrible embarrassment to be in heaven one day Look back on your life and say, you know, I worried so much about so many things and I fretted so much about so many things, yet even though I couldn't see him and didn't always feel him, God was there all along. Let's not just look at our life as simply the things that we have and the possessions that we have, but recognize that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross to give us exactly what we need. So we need to do as these men say, truly this was the Son of God, but let's do it before we have the mistake, before we have the bad situation, because is not your life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? You can fret and worry, Christian, all you want to, and some of us have done that a little bit this week but that ain't going to change one thing. Your Savior has given you a propitiation, exactly what you need. He has made you His possession. He's never going to leave you. Don't miss that. Believe in Him for your salvation. Believe in Him for your satisfaction. Believe in Him for your soothing. Believe in Him for your soul. Do know that He is never forgetting you. He will come back for you. And you, even, even now, He is with you as we speak. I want you to accept Him. I want you to trust Him. I want you to lean on Him. I want you to believe on Him. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ and the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilly, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.